0: and those lost in our world. And so for us, that faith, hope, and love, Paul says, but the greatest of these three is love because it is that very thing in which God himself demonstrated in sending Christ for us. And it's that very thing that caused us to be believers. And it's that very thing that causes us to live out and demonstrate Christ to this world. So we learned that last week. But this week, I really want to look at, you know, us, how are we being known as a healthy church and as a healthy community? And it is this whole thing of being trained by grace. We are to be a community that is known by grace, but I think grace is so misunderstood. And many times we see grace as that necessary evil that we accept. We just, you know, grace, but we really want to live by the strong hand of truth because we're afraid that if we give too much grace, people will abuse it. And We hear that a lot. Be careful. No, be careful. Just be Christ-like. Because what we see of Christ that is mentioned, John talks about that, that we beheld him and that he was one that was filled with grace and truth. And I love that combination because if he is filled with grace and truth, his followers must be filled with grace and truth and known by grace and truth. And neither one stands alone in the believer because they did not stand alone in the Savior. And so this morning, I want to turn us to Titus trained by grace. Titus chapter 2, Paul is talking to his brother here in the church at Crete, and he was really encouraging him to be faithful. And amongst that, in this short letter, we get a great power-packed punch of What he is to do and how he is to be and what he is to model and what he is to preach. And we get at the beginning of two, he gives some great instructions. As to how there is to be training in the church, it is based on sound doctrine. We know, but then he speaks to old men, older men and women. I love that. He said older because there are some that would not consider themselves old. But if, if, if indeed you are older than some other people that can be considered men, you're in that group. If you're older than some people that can be considered women, you are in that group. So where does older start? When there is someone younger. That's a great way to remember it. You are older. Now, granted, I know they had a specific or a more more specific body of person in mind, but for us, it helps, is that when am I considered older? When there are men and women, people that can be considered men and women that are younger, and that you are in a modeling role. And so we get that. And then we also get for those that were bond servants and for those that were contracted and underneath the hand of someone that they were serving and working for. And so he gives it on that as well as to how you are to act and to behave. And then he starts in verse 11 and I love what he says. He says, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. In case you were kind of wondering where he was talking about this would happen. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, we just reflected on that to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Love that. And so trained by grace. I want us to look at how grace, you know, I mean how how grace and mercy has been our salvation, how grace and mercy should be our motivation and thus grace should be our trainer. It was interesting as I read this the fact that grace trains. We don't think of it that way. That grace, what is grace? It is in, we know, know, we say it's God's a merited favor. And do we think about what that actually means? We throw it out there as a term and we say, do we actually think about it? What he is saying is God looking at you. The whole picture is one of a very important dignitary, king or queen, ruler, actually turning at their will and granting favor upon one of the lowly in their kingdom. That was the, it was a grace given. You know, why did they decide to do that or to look at you or to greet you or to bestow anything on you? It had nothing to do with you. It had everything to do with them. We have to remember that, that it had that that And I've said this before, there is nothing that you brought to the table that would cause God to turn, period. There isn't anything that you did that your grandparents were wonderful Christians or that you can trace your lineage back to and you whoever it is that was very important in the Lord. There isn't anything that caused him to to turn except his willingness and his desire to turn and to bestow favor. And so what he gives us is that this grace as our salvation is purely by the will of God. And so I have to establish that because that's going to lead to why that should be our motivation. Grace is our salvation, Ephesians chapter 2 I do want to read that again, verses 8 through 10. Many of us know it well. When Paul reminds them that for by grace, you have been saved. I, it just by grace. I know it's through faith. The vehicle in which you were able to embrace salvation was that, that, that believing, but that does not happen if grace does not happen first. And so he says, by grace, the act of him turning and even presenting himself to you, calling you to himself through faith, You have been saved. By grace, you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Just in case you didn't catch it with the by grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved through faith, and this, what? Salvation is not, I would even dare say, the fact that you can believe. I'm mess some people up in a moment. He says, through faith, you have been saved. And it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. So set the record straight that grace has brought about our salvation. Okay. For we are his workmanship. "'Created in Christ Jesus for good works, "'which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, "'and thus lays the foundation.'" For everything after our salvation and after coming through Christ. In other words, he was saying, You were saved by, I mean, on purpose, but for a purpose. And that purpose was that there would be these good works. And who determines if they're good? Not you and I, not our society, not even the church. God himself determines that the works are good because he set them out beforehand that you should live in them. In other words, he said it was his full intention that when he brought about salvation, that it would lead to good works. And these works would continue throughout the rest of your life here on earth until you met him face to face. And so this whole thing of I believe and yet I do nothing doesn't make sense. I believe, and yet I live like I want. I believe, and there are no works that affirm and that demonstrate that there's been a change. It's crazy. And so he says, you were created for good works, and you are his workmanship. He is the one that has fashioned and is fashioning you so that good works would be what characterizes you as one that has been saved by grace so grace has brought and grace has brought about and is our salvation grace as our salvation <clears throat> and because it sets that tone that it is not of ourselves that it is the gift of god and we embrace it it now becomes our motivation why because if it is if if it is not a result of anything I did if it is not because I am that good or I'm that savvy or I've really done this that God really likes and so he turns his head if it is not that then the fact and I think our sister Nikki said it It's the fact that he has called us and that after living this life for him, even though hard, and he walks with us and he empowers us, I get to live with him forever after this. That should motivate us for how we live now. Sad to say, it doesn't. Why? Partially because I don't believe we fully understand nor appreciate the grace that's been given. I don't know that we fully understand that there is no reason it makes no good sense that you and I are sitting here today actually considering worshiping God, actually wanting to live with him, and then actually being able to live with him and for him. I don't know that we fully understand that. See, when I decide to live my own way, how I want, and I am living outside of God's will, knowing that will, what I am demonstrating is that I either don't understand that grace that has been given, I don't appreciate it, or I've not actually been able to live to live it out because I may not know Christ. See, the issue is this. How I live now, my philosophy of living, and I'm going to get into something. I'm not talking about this sinless perfection because we can't attain it on this side. We fall and falter as we grow, but there should be a pattern about our lives. And if that pattern about our lives doesn't demonstrate this appreciation for what Christ has done, has it been done in me? I have to ask. I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm not talking about serving in a ministry. I'm not talking about doing good things for people. I'm not talking about giving back to my community. I'm saying, does your life have a pattern? Does it reflect this great appreciation for what God has done by bringing salvation such that that is a motivator for what comes next? Some of us live as if, God, what have you done for me lately? I know you saved me and all, but come on. I know you've changed my life. I know you set me on a course for eternity, but. And usually that but follows with something in this temporary world. It usually does. I know you saved me and all, but I really need you to help me with this job. I know I'm set for all eternity because I'm in Christ, but I really need a new house, God. Lord, you know what? I'm so glad that you gave this, which I am totally undeserving of. But can you please help me in this relationship? Now, not that you don't request that, not that you don't ask that, not that you don't desire that, but the way that we live at times, I believe what we're doing is that we're saying, thank you. That's what you did back then, but I need something better. And there isn't anything better. And that we grow in this grace. Well, What do we mean by we grow in grace? We grow in living out of this undeservedness. We grow in how we are motivated alone by what Christ has done. It's not saying you don't want these things. I'm not trying to put us in that position. It's not even saying that you don't pray for those things because you can. But where, what position do they hold between you and Christ? How does what you do not have or you're not experiencing or you're not acquiring in this world, how does it affect That relationship that was purely established by the grace of God. How does it affect it? Because if this is affecting this, I'm wondering if you fully understand this. And God is saying it can't, He's not saying that you're not hurting. He's not saying that you're not broken. He's not saying that you have unfulfilled desires. He's not saying that you don't understand all of what's going on. He's not saying that, God, I feel abandoned, that I feel like I'm missing out, that I feel like no one notices. He's not saying that, but he's saying that, boy, that grace that he's given is motivation for me to stay on course And to live in a particular way, we're going to show that in a moment, to live in a particular way, regardless of what's happening here. That's what he's trying to get us to see. Whether you attain these things or not, whether you get these things or not, whether you experience something or not in this present age. How how is that grace motivating you. And what does it motivate us to do? I love this. Grace as our motivator. He says it here. Let me go back to our text in Titus. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. Grace is our salvation for all people, training us what god has done and the reminder of it and us living in it training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age you see how the grace is motivating or it should be what it does is because of what god has done we go wow I know here's how he wants me to live. And so I am going to allow that grace to work in my life. And what should it be doing? It should cause me first to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. There is a renouncing and there is a renouncing. And it's a continual renouncing. It is a statement renouncing in that you are saying, I turn my back on that. But you continually have to turn your back on that. Ungodliness, I love it. It is huge. That thing which is not characterized or you will not find within the character of God or those things in which in your doing them and operating in them do not represent God. Y'all know what it is. I don't need to give you specifics you know when you're being ungodly. If you are in God's word and you are studying his word, you know God reminds you too. I've told people every time, especially when it came to thoughts, attitudes, and communication, I know I was about to say something I shouldn't, and I said it anyway. See, I would get these little checks. I would know. Now, I've even heard the thoughts in my head. Now, you know you don't need to say that. Now, you know you don't need to think that. Now, you know you don't need to go there. And in my mind, real quick, it's like I'm saying I know, but I'm going. And then later, I come back and say, God, why did I go there? And it's like, you know why you went there. You went there because you wanted to. You took that trip yourself. You made that something you wanted. You planned that trip. You set the mode of transportation and you knew the destination. And so it says us that the grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness. And here it is, those passions, because those are those things that are welling up in us and they are impulsive in nature. And again, they can be even heated. They are these, these desires that still exist in you and I, even though we are believers and we have to constantly renounce them. The desire to do something ungodly when something has been done to you. The desire to make choices um, based on ungodly things when you know there are godly choices that you can make instead, even if they cause you more pain. Even if they don't immediately bring satisfaction. Trains us, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and it doesn't stop there and to live. So it trains us to renounce, grace of God, and it trains us in a way to live. Because we don't go about our lives just renouncing things. How many of you have been around Christians that all they do is talk about what they renounce, what they're against? What I'm opposed to, and I'm like, great. So, what are you living for? What do you are What are you in agreement with? I don't want to know just what you're opposed to. I want to know what your purpose is and what your mind and life is set on. And so, he says that not only are you renouncing, but you are living for something. And I love this to live self. Controlled lives. I bet for many of us, man, if we looked at our lives, if we reflected on it, and I ask us to do that, if we looked at our lives and we reflected on it, on it we would see how uncontrolled we are in many areas of our lives, or how out of control when it comes or com- <clears throat> when it comes to the guideline of God's standard, how out of control we are how we are not managing ourselves well in just your time before God in prayer, your time for God in the Word, your time in how you relate in your surroundings in a godly manner. It requires self-control by the enabling power of the Holy Spirit, but that is a part of the grace of God allowing you to see that because you're in Christ Christ. And because you know what he has done to bring you in the family, now you desire to live that way. And so you do something about it. Hear a lot of believers say, you know, I'm just really struggling. And I understand that because many of us are. We we struggle through life. But sometimes I believe we use the struggle as an excuse. I'm struggling, which means I like this sin. I'm not ready to give it up yet. And so I know I feel bad in practicing it, so I'm going to say I'm struggling. For some of us, we just need to say no to the sin and keep saying no in our lives and begin to grow in whatever it is. And I know for us, when we hear that, our mind automatically goes to one area. I would say expand your areas, please. Because what God is wanting us to do is to look at our lives and see where we are out of control and can bring some self-control in there that would demonstrate that we are operating out of the grace of God. So it teaches us to live self-controlled, upright. I love this. Because as we look at scripture and as we read and as we see what the Lord says, is this demonstrates godly living? This is how those that belong to the family of God are living and are progressing in their lives. This character, this integrity, this, um, this, this, this uprightness comes out boldly. And so, self control, upright, godly lives. And this is not for the by and by one day when I get there to heaven. He was like, right now. I love that. In this present age. And so because of that, and through that, waiting for our blessed hope, this is the frame of mind. Understanding, I love this, understanding this, understanding that we are waiting and, and, and this waiting, meaning it is an expectation that I know is going to happen, waiting. I'm just waiting for it to come about. Waiting for that blessed hope, for that guarantee of Christ returning, waiting for this to change one day, I know it will. Here's how it helps. It keeps you from acting and living hopeless. Because when you are constantly faced with living in this sinful world and in this fallen world, many times what can happen is the temptation to respond out of hopelessness or this feeling of hopelessness. But you turn and say, I know I have this guarantee of of of." of Christ returning and fulfilling what he said would be fulfilled. Life will not always be this way. One day I will be with him. And so that is my motivator for me to keep going, that I don't get hopeless, that I don't give up, that I don't say what's the use. So he says that as we renounce and live we will wait. We will wait with hope. And see, maybe the reason why you can't wait is because you've not done a good job of renouncing. Maybe the reason why you can't wait although you've renounced it's you're not living according to the pattern God wants you to live. And so it is the renouncing in your living that aids in your waiting. And so as we have grace as our salvation, grace as our motivation, grace is also our trainer. See, he says at the end, I love this, that verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify us. And it is this, it is this desire and it is this purposeful move to a life of purity and holiness that God is calling them, call them to and is calling us to. It says, from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. Who are zealous for good works? You've ever been zealous for anything? That zeal, that great motivation? You've ever seen people that are highly zealous for something? Get out of their way. They are going to keep moving and pushing. You will see it people that are zealous for increasing in a particular area, maybe it's sports, maybe as education, maybe it's lifestyle. And if they are zealous, man, they are giving every bit of their energy toward it, and there is just about no stopping them. Many times we think of people that are zealous as people that are unwise. That's not necessarily the case. Zeal without knowledge can make some unwise decisions, but a person that is zealous with grace and truth, man, that is the person that, I mean, that is the way God is intending that person to be, and that person can be you and me. And so what he says for us is, look, that that it is our training because we are zealous for good works and that we were created according to Ephesians for good works we were we were brought about in Christ so that our lives would be a, a demonstration of the works that God is doing in us first of transforming us into the image of Christ and then of us displaying his character traits to the world through our lives and Matthew tells us what happens when people see our good works. What did he say when he said, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works? And what will they do? Talk about you? Of course not. They will glorify your father who is in heaven. And so God gets the glory out of grace saving you, grace motivating you, grace training you in good works, because the world sees the work of God in you, which is good, and they turn and they glorify God. So God continually gets the glory, which is the ultimate purpose anyway, that God would be glorified on earth. And he is glorified through you and I. As he has redeemed us, as he has saved us, as he cleans us up, as he matures us, as he sets us in a community and he puts us in a world in which is totally opposite of that. And we grow and we live and we increase in godly character. And the world is amazed, even if they don't admit it. Trained by grace. And I love how Paul ends this. He tells Titus. Declare, proclaim, state it as fact. Declare these things. In other words, don't hold back. This needs to be made known. And I love it. He said, exhort and rebuke, because there'll be some that'll be doing it. Keep encouraging them and exhorting them and those that want to. But he says, rebuke. I love that because there'll be some of us that'll be walking apart from that. And he says, don't hold back with that either. Exhort them or rebuke them. And sometimes you may have to do both with the same person. Got an example for that. I mean, you guys remember Peter. I love that. Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. I love that. Peter was exhorted. You received that from God. Boy, just a little while later, Satan, get behind me. It's this exhorting and rebuking. And sometimes we have to understand that we, and and he's talking to Titus specifically as a pastor, as a leader, we have to both encourage and be excited for that and exhort you, And and encourage and be glad, but sometimes you have to be rebuked. That is not what God desires. That is wrong. That is not the way you need to be living. It's not because I'm holier than thou or some other leader is. It's because they care for your life and your soul, and they may see something and say, hey, brother, Hey, sister, not where God wants you, not according to the word of God. You know, I can exhort you, but he says, also understand. He was telling Titus, what you will do will be both. You will exhort and you'll rebuke because it's that serious. And he says to to those of us who are receiving it, you can be both exhorted and rebuked. Regardless of how long you've been a part of that church regardless of how much you give, regardless of how much influence you carry. Doesn't matter. And I love this. And he says to to Titus, understand, because it will happen, let no one disregard you. Because when you live this out and when you proclaim this, when you declare it, there'll be some people be saying, man, go sit down with that. It, It don't take all that. I am paying attention. get away from me with that. He said, let no one disregard you. Or don't succumb to this disregarding from people of how I've told you to live that it affects you continuing to live that way. Don't let them disregarding you cause you to do something different than what God has set you on task to do, knowing that you yourself need to be living this out, not exempt from it at all myself. He is saying that that for us that we have been saved by grace and we need to live by that grace and we need to be trained by that grace so that we can encourage others to live and do the same. And so for us today, I'm asking us to reflect on, are we being trained by grace? Is grace our motivator? Has grace first been our salvation? I mean, has grace led to our salvation? In other words, have you been saved? Because the only way that you will be saved is by grace. Has it become your motivator? Is what God is? Through Christ, in Christ, has done for you, is it motivating you to live differently than you've been? And how does differently look? He gives us that we renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and that we live in a self controlled, upright, godly way. In purity. And because of that, Are we being trained to live a life of good works so that, using the Matthew scripture, when people see our good works, they will glorify God. So in essence, is your life bringing God glory because of the grace that he's bestowed on you? Or are you demonstrating that you don't understand that grace? Or you may not have embraced it allowing it to change who you are. Spend today and even this week reflecting on how am I allowing God's grace to be in effect in my life? Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that by your wonderful grace, by nature of the word, it is undeserving. We should not have had it. If you didn't choose to give it, but because you have. We can live out of it. Father, I thank you that you have given us. Such a great gift. In Christ. Through faith. And I pray that we would reflect on that deeply causing it to motivate us to live in the way you've called for. And thus, Lord, that we would be trained in good works so that you may be glorified. You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week. I ask this in Christ's name, Amen.